Hi, this is Rachel on Recovery. We've got a special guest today. Ashley's just going to tell us a little bit about herself, and then she's going to answer some questions for us. Ashley, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, thank you for having me. I am a 25-year-old Chinese-American, and I am newly a new writer, working on a couple different books, um, and also working on a few different projects, trying to share my own experiences and my own um, coping mechanisms and my own tools, mental tools, to help other people learn how to heal from their trauma using what I did to learn from my own. Okay. Um, what things have you done for your recovery of being sexually abused? Well, it's definitely been a very long journey. It's taken years. Um, so there was a lot that kind of went into it. But I think the very first step was to admit it in the first place. I was very scared to tell anyone what happened because I was scared of the ripple effect and the reaction of those around me, whether good or bad, or, I mean, they would never be good, but I was scared of the ripple effect. So I kept quiet for so long and I let that eat me up. And so finally, when I met my husband, I decided that it was time for me to start telling the truth because this was my first serious relationship. So I told him, which made it a little bit easier to tell my mom. She was then like the first person, like significant person in my life, family wise, that I told and then told my grandfather. And from that point, it was just a lot easier to tell people. And I went through a phase where I kind of was just telling everybody because I didn't know how to handle it. And it was felt very foreign to me to tell people the truth. So I just told everyone whether it was, you know, inappropriate or not, because that was just what I did. That was just what I knew how to do to try to make myself feel better about it, make it feel normal instead of a touchy topic. And then as I got older, I started to teach myself survival skills, um, mental survival skills. So when I start going through a really rough patch with, you know, mentally, I tell myself six months from now, I'll be fine. Six months from now, things will be different. Six months from now, you know, life will be different and I will be that much further. And that's really what got me through every step of the way. And I reached my peak most recently when I wrote my very first diary entry. And in that diary entry, I set expectations for myself that there were no expectations that I might write in my diary every day. I might write every few days, once a week, once a year, it doesn't matter. But when I feel the need that I'm feeling overwhelmed, just write it down. And that kind of erupted this thing in me where now I'm using every outlet and I set no expectations for myself because I used to have a hard time picking hobbies up and breaking the habit for one day and never touching it again because I set mental expectations for myself. And now I'm using art as a form of coping. So when I start feeling really dark or gloomy, either I 
write down the words that I'm feeling or I'll paint the words that or paint the patterns and colors that I'm feeling because sometimes I feel in in patterns and colors or in metaphorical pictures and so now I've kind of got different creative outlets every time I'm feeling emotional I just follow that and it can be something crazy like uh swinging around on a tree or going on a jog or just any different way that whenever I'm feeling down and and frustrated with the stuff like flashbacks and stuff when I get overwhelmed I just pick an outlet and I use it and I usually feel better after important and that's a really good way to deal with this type of trauma Actually, probably any kind of trauma. So, and that's a much healthier outlet than most people. But I know you're, the fact that you're concerned about making sure you do it every day, or, you know, getting, like, you know that's not healthy for you. Right. Um, what was the most helpful? I think the most helpful has to be gaining confidence in myself. Finally, I was so insecure for so long. I pushed myself in a teeny tiny box for so long that I just didn't have a voice. I was scared to speak up. I was scared to hurt people's feelings. I was scared of what people thought about me. And then I realized that I need to be confident in myself because One, no one's going to be confident for me. And I basically put a target on my back if I make myself that small. And so I've decided that I needed to be confident in myself, which in turn opened up a bunch of doors that I didn't even expect, which is I'm no longer embarrassed or or worried about the embarrassment of my family because since I shared my story, immediately I got backlash from my family that they're feeling embarrassed because I'm I'm sharing because it's immediate family that did this to me. And so now they're like, Ashley, why are you doing this? You know, you're you're shaming the family. And it's I had to correct them because now I'm confident in myself. I had to correct them. I am not embarrassing the family. This would have never happened if the abuser had never started the abuse to begin with. If you have a problem or you you feeling embarrassed, you address the abuser. You don't address the victim. And when I realized that, I shared of my own video explaining that because I can see how without confidence, you would let that eat you and you would let that push you back into a hole. And so for me, having confidence was just the most helpful thing because that's just one example but overall has just helped me address all of the toxic members in my family give me the strength to cut them out and now I live so much happier away from everyone who's ever made me feel small or made me feel like it was my fault in any way well and that's important and I think in our society I mean we're trying and we're working towards that but we are far from Victim, getting over victim blaming for our perpetrators' actions, which is ridiculous, but it's been going on for a very long time. Actually, since 
I mean, the first encounter I can think of is Lot and his daughters, but that's a whole other spell. Um, how did your family respond? Well, my family dynamic is a bit different than others. I come from a multicultural home, but I also, part of my abuser, which is my biological father, part of his technique, I guess you would call it, was to isolate me. I'm a biologically an only child, and I was isolated. I wasn't really allowed to have friends, and I did was never really around any cousins. So it was really just me, my mom, and my dad. And then I have my grandparents. Um, well, my mom was the first family member I told. She needed time to digest. Part of his manipulation against her and me was he convinced me throughout my childhood that she didn't love me. He used her cultural differences against me because culturally Chinese people don't show love the same way Americans do. Um, and so he was in my ear every day. See, look, this is why she doesn't love you. See, this is she, – she doesn't want anything. She wanted a boy. She doesn't want you, like, in my ear. So when I told my mom, she at first thought I was trying to get back at her. She thought I was still angry at her because, again, the manipulation he put on us was so deep that we fought all the time when I was growing up before I got – put in foster care. So she thought I was just trying to get back at her. She thought that maybe, you know, I was trying to hurt her and she hung up with me. Um, and it's like, I need to think about this. And after about one to two days, she called me back and she was like, I think, you know, I believe you because now I realize things are making sense within their own marriage behind doors that I didn't even realize I guess stuff was going on that he was like emotionally detached from her, treated her really badly in the bedroom. And it's kind of, it made her realize, you know, it was happening under her roof all along. And she had no idea. And she could see after some time to digest it, see it plain as day. Whereas then my next person I told was my grandfather which was his father. And he, to this day, is still taking it very hard, but he luckily believes me 100%. Um, he has some trouble holding him accountable because of the good old country boy, Western, you know, way, like how he was raised. It's hard for him to accept it, but he believes me. It's just hard for him to hold him accountable. Um Whereas my grandmother, which would be his mother, is the total opposite. She thinks I'm a liar. They're doing everything to incriminate me. She, she's saying I'm a liar, saying I'm on drugs. Um, whenever I was saying I was going to go press charges, they're trying to fire back and, and threaten me by threatening my mom, saying they're going to put her in jail for blackmail if I said anything. So, like, they just did everything to try to make me seem like the bad guy and I ha and I just recently explained I have zero to gain from telling my truth other than my own personal healing it's not like I'm getting any money out of it it's not like I'm getting any fame out of it it's I'm just trying to heal and so 
that was the reaction. It was, it was all, you know, different, but I realize now I've just recently sent a message to my grandmother explaining my case again with confidence, telling her I don't owe her an explanation. I don't care what she believes or who she supports. If she wants to know the truth, I will tell her the truth graphically and in detail. But if she wants to stay supporting this monster, go ahead. I don't, then I have nothing more to say to her for the rest of her life. And that's, that's the extent of my family. I mean, the rest, then the extended family that I've told, you know, like, like cousins and further on, they're all in full support of me and my mom. And no, no one else is really kind of against me, which I find very fortunate because I know there are a lot of people with a lot of families that even their people's direct moms will go and blame the, you know, the victim. And so I'm very fortunate my that most of my family reacted the way that they did. No, I mean, it can be, I didn't have anybody not believe me, but um, still there's conflict on my dad's side of the family and I don't think it'll ever get better. But um, how did your community respond? I received an overwhelming amount of love and support once I finally spoke up. It was amazing. And really the only reason I even went public with my personal friends was because I was not the greatest friend growing up. Um, and in my late teens, like, but basically before I started working on my own healing and my own recovery, like really working on it, not just saying I wanted to, not just like, you know, living in despair and, and, I, I really started doing self-reflective work every single day. And once I got to the point where I really felt like I've evolved into a, a better version. And again, I don't set expectations for myself. So I know it's a continue, I'm continuing to grow. I probably won't ever stop growing. But once I felt I was at the point that I was healthy enough, then I went public on my personal pages saying, hey, to all of my friends and family that have known me and had experiences with me, I am sorry because I really was a toxic link to them, to most of them in some capacity. And so I explained how there is a secret that I have been hiding, not only to everyone else, but to myself, which was, the fact that I was being raped and molested for over a decade by my own biological father. And because I was in denial of that, because I stuffed that away, I turned into just a very toxic person in everyone's lives. And I was sincerely sorry about that. And I didn't want anyone to think that it was either their fault or that, you know, I would never recognize my faults because I did at this point. And so once I shared that experience and I shared, you know, that self-reflective and, and apologize, I got an overwhelming amount of support from all of my friends and family that, that read it. And then I created this new platform 
on Instagram. I started on Instagram and I'll soon expand it. But once I created that platform, I first started with trying to start from scratch. I didn't want anyone personal knowing about this platform. Um, I started sharing like my writings and stuff on there. My writings are what helped me kind of cope with all of it because I would talk in poems or in metaphors or sometimes in affirmations. And so I would just post those on there. And once I started gaining my own following on my own, then I shared it to my personal platform, letting them know, hey, I really am diving into this mental health recovery world. And if anyone wants to join me, you guys can follow me. And I, again, got an overwhelming amount of support that I did not expect. Um, And now I'm I feel like the the feedback is pretty positive. Since I've started sharing my story, I've gotten people that I don't know from all over the world reaching out to me saying how my writings are resonating with me. I can see on uh, my professional, um, I don't analytics that people are saving and sharing my writings, and so I would I would say for the most part, I've I've had a pretty positive community response. Well, that's that's very helpful. Um, was there any re-victimization or victim blaming? I think we've talked a little bit about this. Yeah, there, there definitely was, um, personally, like internally through myself, I did go through waves of it up until recently. I stopped blaming, when, once I finally fully grasped confidence and held on to it, I no longer do that to myself anymore, but throughout the years up until that point, I was constantly trying to think, well, what if I am putting my family through all of this? What if I am, you know, doing this? What if, you know, why didn't I say anything sooner? You know, I I just constantly found reasons to blame myself for the situation that was until, like I said, I garnered that confidence to realize I did the best that I could with what I could. I, I was the victim and the rest of the chain reaction, including my own victim blaming, uh, still boils back to the abuser. And so kind of touching back on the outside of myself, you know, I definitely have my biological grandmother still victim blaming, making her son the victim, the abuser the victim, and me the perpetrator somehow. Um, But other than that, I would say that, you know, I don't, with my confidence now, even if other people were to blame me, I wouldn't even care because I'm that confident in myself and in our situation. I know I didn't do anything wrong and how I'm handling it is I'm allowed to handle it however I want to because it's my situation. I was the victim. No, that's, that's, that's a good example for other, other people to follow and you know, and it takes a lot of courage to do that in a lot of ways. It's like, no, this is not my fault. This is, you know, my perpetrator's fault. Um, how has this impacted your career? So I actually am unemployed right now because it impacted my career so badly. So I'll, I'll first start with my college career. So I, when I aged out of foster care at 18 years old and I jumped right into college, I suffered. I had PTSD from whenever I was in high school and I was going through what I was going through. I was actually removed 
um, from my schools multiple times in cop cars and in handcuffs, taking me to a mental health facility because I just was struggling that badly coping with what I was going through and, and bottling it up and out lashing to everyone. So when I get to college, I'm, you know, I know more trips to the mental hospital, but I struggled in school. I, for me, just looking, school was just a really hard time for me. So I had a hard time sticking to my classes. And so I started full time and I was like, okay, let me kind of reel back a little, take a little bit less classes. And each semester it was like that. I just take a little bit less, a little bit less until finally I was like, okay, this is not for me. I can't do this. So I jumped into the working world and I most recently, I'll, I'll just use my most recent job as the example because that's what really was the boiling point for me. Not that people were yelling at me as part of my job, but there, when you're dealing with the general public, you sometimes get those upset people that look at employees as nothing but like part of the company. And so they're yelling at the company, but in turn, really, they're yelling at you because you're on the phone with them. And so even though that wasn't an every single call type of situation, the anxiety of is the next call going to be like that? That just ate me alive for months. And my job tried really hard to work with me. Um, they helped me with free counseling. Then they let me go on medical leave, short-term medical leave to kind of try to get myself together. But ultimately, I just, it it progressed so, I wouldn't say rapidly. It took a couple years for it to get to the point that it did, but it just progressed to the point where I just could not work anymore. And luckily, very fortunately, I have an amazing husband that, you know, is able to work for both of us. I don't have to work, but I want, I liked working. I liked bringing in money and it was really hard for me to have to quit working. And, but as of recently, I've, you know, I found a new outlet and and started writing and I don't know what's to come of it. But if it does, I will find that very much worth it as an investment of my time. Um, because now I, that's my work is I, I'm constantly writing and working on all of my books. I'm working on three different ones right now. And the way that I look at it is if it, make something of it amazing. And if it doesn't, these will just be books for me to read to my children someday, um, whether it's, you know, for young reading or show them as adults. So career-wise, it really did uh, hurt me. But now I realize I just wasn't in the right field. Well, and you've got to find the right field. And customer service is a brutal, brutal field to be in from even mentally healthy people. Yes, it can be very, people are ruthless sometimes. <laughs> yes. How has this impacted your dating life? Well, so I tell people that my husband is my very first relationship and my first boyfriend, which is true to an extent. Um, before my husband, I was the very typical this girl's got daddy issues. Um, I bounced around guy to guy and like 
back then, it was, you know, it was very, like, I did not enjoy what I was doing, but I didn't know what else to do. Um, I tried to get an emotional attachment to these guys. And, you know, when you're young and you're, like, late teenagers, hormones, and you know how it is. And so um, I would try to garner an emotional attachment, but ultimately it would always lead to just something physical, and then it was over, and then it was on to the next one. And I didn't like that life, but that's just how I guess I was dealing with it. And then finally I decided I was going to move to a new city that I'd never been to and go to college there. And I told myself the whole point of moving, I was like, Ashley, you are done work focusing on guys. You need to focus on yourself. You need to work on yourself and healing on yourself because you can't expect anyone to respect you and, and care about you if you're not respecting and caring about yourself. So I moved away to Gainesville, Florida, which is where, you know, UF is, and started college there. And after about three, four months of only focusing on myself, I then met my husband in one of my classes. And I remember it was it. I won't go into our love story, but I just remember that I told myself when I first started talking to him, I was like, I know I told myself I didn't want to meet guys. I know I told myself this was about me, but I just had such a strong gut feeling about him. So I went out on a limb and I talked to him and thank God that I did. It worked out amazingly. Um, But then after like a week of talking, he invited me over to his house and that was rule number two for me. I was like, I am not going to end up in someone else's house again because I put myself in too many situations that I did not want to be in by accepting invitations to people's houses. So, but in his case, I had such a strong gut feeling and we were, you know, that first week that we were, we met each other and would talk in school. It was just different than anything I've ever had or felt before. So I was like, okay, Ashley, last time. This is the last time. If it doesn't work out, you are done and you are focusing on yourself till you're out of college. Um, But luckily it worked out. It did not turn out like all of the past experiences. And we moved on pretty quickly. But here we are five years later and stronger than ever. And he really has been my backbone And I don't think I would have healed to the extent that I did without him, which I know is bad to say. I know it's not good to um, be so codependent, but he really helped build me up by keeping my confidence, constantly reassuring me that he's here for me, that he loves me. Even whenever I went into my emotional mental breakdowns, I had several of those throughout our relationship. And, you know, I lashed out on him several times emotionally and he just stuck by me because he knew what I went through. He knew what I needed. And that really helped me heal in the end. Well, and I don't think it's a bad thing. I think that's, you know, that's what part of being in a relationship is. And, you know, if it's a healthy attachment, then it's a healthy attachment. Yeah, we have definitely got to the point where, um, as we stand right now in a relationship, I love myself as an individual. I'm happy with myself as an individual. And he, you know, same thing for him. And now we're at, we're both at the point, we definitely needed each other throughout those early years. And we couldn't have said the same thing in those early years. But now 
as we're matured and we've grown together, we've worked really hard to grow together and that we've grown as individuals. So we're both content and love ourselves for who we are, but then we also can share that love with each other. And it just made our relationship that much better that we are both now confident in ourselves. And I really don't think we could have gotten there without each other. Uh, Thanks for listening, guys. Rachel and Recovery will be back with Ashley Chung's journey part two. Um, And you can always follow us on your favorite platform for social media or for podcast. And uh, Patreon is now supplying us with T-shirts, mugs, and other, other kinds of swag that you may enjoy for... Uh, sponsorships as low as $10 a month. Um, And you can always come to our website at rachelandrecovery.com especially if you want to be a guest on the show. That would be awesome. Thanks as always. Um, I'll hear from you guys next week at 10am on Thursday.